Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Joan Crone, veteran journalist, spent the past 25 years as a contributing editor-at-large at Allure magazine, where she covered the hot topics of cosmetic dermatology and plastic surgery. Prior to Allure, she held senior editorial positions at New York Magazine, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Avenue Magazine. Crone is known for her books and numerous articles on, and commentary on design, beauty, and plastic surgery. Now, at the age of 89 years old, she's embarked on a new career as a documentary filmmaker, and that film is called Take My Nose, Please, a Joan Crone film, will have its premiere at the 2017 Newport Beach Film Festival this coming Saturday, April 22nd, and with another screening on Thursday, April 27th. The film is about plastic surgery. It's about the women who decide to have it done, why, how, the history of uh, women's issues related to that decision, whether or not to or to not do it. And along with that, we have an array of wonderful uh, appearances by such people as Phyllis Diller, Joan Rivers, Joanne Barr, Julie Hoffman, and so many others. It is a, it is a great overview of the history of and of the, the actual politics, if you will, personal politics surrounding plastic surgery. With that, the director, Joan Crone, welcome to film school. Well, I, I never went to film school, so I'm glad to finally go. <laughs> well, no one leaves here without at least an honorary degree from film school, so so uh, there you go. Well, well Joan, I guess the, you, you're very welcome. I, I guess the obvious question is, you know, I mean, you've been talking about this cosmetic surgery, plastic surgery, these kinds of issues for a long time. What prompted the decision on your part to move forward with, with doing a documentary film? I had, I, because I was covering plastic surgery for so many years, and uh, I, I was very lucky to be at Allure magazine uh, with the editor, Linda Wells, who encouraged me to uh, to just go for it, to tell the truth, not to not to hype plastic surgery, not to be for it or against it, but just to tell a lot of stories to cover the science and the psychology and uh, the anthropology of it. Any, I mean, I did so many different types of stories. Sometimes about celebrities and sometimes about the things that can go wrong. And uh, I became, I had, you know, I developed a reputation as the only reporter in the country who was covering plastic surgery full-time. So I got people's attention. There's no question that I had a devoted readership. And uh, with that came um, offers to be in other people's documentaries, you know, to make comments. And in one uh, film in particular, I... When I saw the film, I just said to myself, and I said, I guess, to a few friends, I could do that. You know, that famous line in, uh, in a chorus line, mm-hmm. I could do that, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I could do it better. <laughs> and everybody thought I was crazy, of course, because I'd just been a journalist for 
35 years or something when I started this, and uh, I had no experience in film, but I did go to drama school. I went to the Yale Drama School before anybody listening was born. I was I graduated from Yale in 1948, and I majored in costume design, mm-hmm. and I was one of the first um, costume designers in television. When I got out of school, we all went into television, and I was at NBC. And so, you know, I've, I've certainly been around the theater and uh, in the theater and uh, off-Broadway doing costumes off-Broadway. And, of course, I did uh, Howdy Doody on, um, in, uh, when I worked at NBC. I was in charge of Clarabelle. Oh, is that right? Okay. Uh, so that's a great, that's great training, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, uh, you know, I've always been interested in theater. I go to a lot of theater. I see a lot of movies. So... It didn't seem that foreign to me, um, and uh, I, I, by chance, and I won't bore you with the story, but I, I got invited to audit a, a course in documentary filmmaking at the School of Visual Arts, and it was once a week, and every week I would go. It was a night course. It was a master's degree, and uh, they kept inviting me back. I had only wanted to see one to hear one lecture in particular that I was interested in. They kept inviting me back, and I kept going. Mm-hmm. And uh, every lecture was a very famous documentarian talking about their films, their lives, and how they got into it and whatnot. And some of them I stuck up conversations with, and one in particular had been a journalist, and he crossed over. And uh, so we became friendly, and we would have conversations. So, you know, little by little, I was sliding into this, and I had many ideas. And I approached uh, one of the producers that I met on a film that I had been a talking head on, and I, I ran a few ideas by her, and she told me how expensive they would be. <laughs> and maybe I should look for some other ideas. And finally, I settled on one, and... It was about a wonderful woman in Australia, and I, I soon realized that your first film shouldn't be going having to go to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> that was going to be a little too expensive. <laughs> so I was searching around for an idea, and I have a cousin uh, who writes for David Letterman. His name is Bill Sheft. He was with David Letterman doing the monologues for 24 years. Oh, wow. And we were talking one day. And um, I was explaining to him uh, about a book I had written about uh, the history of uh, the facelift. And I I had a section in the book about Hollywood. And I was saying, you know, Bill, because Bill had been a comedian. He'd been a stand-up comedian. His wife was a stand-up comedian, too. And I said, uh, the only people who tell the truth about plastic surgery are comedians. Yeah. And I mentioned a few names, and he said, well, Joan, that's your movie. I said, oh, my God, of course. That's a great idea. (laughs) That is a great idea. And then I sat down at the uh, computer, and um, it was like, um, you know, sitting at a Ouija board, and the words just came out, and the words that came out were, take my nose, please. (laughs) And, of course, you know, that line in... um, 
that's a Henny, Lund, uh, Henny Young Men yes. punchline. Yes. Henny Young Men, of course, is dead, but he was a, you know, a Vorspel comedian. And uh, his famous line it had became the most famous most famous punchline in all of American comedy, and it was, take my wife, please. And so I had, you know, kind of channeled that, and I called, and I said, oh, take my nose, please. Mm. And when I, then I loved it so much, I said, well, I have to make this film. <laughs> so, well, and so, uh, you know, somebody said you could get into this for $15,000. All you have to do is make a sizzle reel. And I said, well, I could rustle that up. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, and then I had a friend who, uh, did all the trailers at HBO and she took me down to the studio that she works in and she explained what they do and the head of the studio, I don't know, was, I think everybody was just like fascinated that a woman in her 80s yeah. wanted to take on a film. They were just like fascinated. Okay. <laughs> so everybody was very nice to me. And it was almost as if I was 10 years old and they were patting me on the head. Yes, yes, dear. <laughs> yes, yes, dear. Of course you can write a Broadway comedy and <laughs> an Oscar-winning movie and whatever, whatever you <laughs> And so I started. And I started small and I started just doing it nights and weekends because I had a job. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, one thing led to another and Bill's wife, Adrian who unfortunately died a few months ago and just shame that she had cancer but she was she was she loved the idea she thought it was a fantastic idea for a movie you know there's so many things that we've all seen about plastic surgery mike yeah we've seen extreme makeover and we've seen botched and all of those you know television shows and they always they always show the extremes mm -hmm. and the thing that i felt when I all these years of covering plastic surgery did was those extremes are not the norm. You know, they they're fun to write about, they're fun to read about, but it's not really plastic surgery. Those are really extremes. And uh and be, because there's so much secrecy in this business in, in the plastic surgery industry, uh, when it comes to cosmetic surgery, because uh, we admire natural beauty and we degrade uh, beauty that can be bought. Uh, for some reason, that becomes less valuable in people's minds. Mm -hmm. And really, there's nothing left in life, you know, with political correctness that you can make fun of. But the one thing you people still like to make fun of is plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. And I felt I, I felt very sad for the people who have it, because they have it for good reasons. They have it in large numbers, and they're basically happy with it, and they're basically not recognizable. When you walk down the street and you see someone with big lips, and you, th you might think that that's the norm. That is not the norm. The norm is looking just like yourself, but just a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And and when people who know those people see them after they've had surgery, they say, gosh, you look wonderful. <laughs> and you and the person then says, oh, well, thank you. I, I had a nice vacation. Yeah. They lie. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So there's no, so there's very little understanding of 
of plastic surgery. You know, we, we, we've read about face transplants and we've read about, uh, Michael Jackson and that's about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And they, and they're the extremes. Either it's extreme of reconstruction or this extreme of cosmetics. And I felt that there was a role for me because I, I have, um, I have sympathy for a woman who's getting older and she sees a lot of wrinkles and she sees that there is a science that can help her. And we all know that when all things are equal, the people who look better get the job. If, if you know, the credentials are all the same and two people are going for a job, the younger person or the better looking person often gets the job. And we also know from very, very rigorous studies that people who are better looking make more money over their lifetime. So there's a very good economic reason for people to have plastic surgery. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people who go too far. There are. But I didn't want to talk about those people. I wanted to talk about real people who had real problems in their lives uh, because of their appearance and um, and talk about that. And the best way to do it was actually through comedians because they're so appealing, they're so uh, they're so outspoken, and they tell the truth, and they're not afraid of expressing their insecurities. And they're the only people that we know publicly who will talk about their insecurities. You're not going to find a Jennifer Aniston. Uh, oh yes, Jennifer Aniston is talking about. She has itchy eyes. That's about as far as she gets. Yeah. Talking about her itchy, itchy eyes and, you know, um, doing an ad for uh, some eye drops. But uh, if she's insecure about getting older, she's not telling us that. But a comedian will tell you that. And um, I happen to be a history buff, and uh, there is a long history of comedians having plastic surgery and talking about it. And as far as I know, it started with Fanny Bryce, mm-hmm. who was played by, uh, you know, uh, she's a funny girl. Barbara Streisand. And she was, yeah. you know, Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. So people people may not know Fanny Bryce's name, but they know that character that Barbara Streisand played in Funny Girl. And, it, of course, they left that out of the movie. But Fanny Bryce had a very, very public nose job in 1923. Now, most people don't even know that plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery was being performed in 1923. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people say to me, how old is plastic surgery? And they think I'm going to say 1970. (laughs) Well, plastic surgery goes back to the it goes back to the Egyptians as far as we know. It may go farther back, but the the oldest uh, medical document is 3,500 years old, and it's in hieroglyphics. And it has uh, 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 recipes or whatnot. It has uh, case studies of people who lost their noses and all kinds of problems. And there's one recipe, and in in, it's called the Smith Papyrus. And the Smith Papyrus, excuse me, <laughs> They um, th- there's a recipe for an 
How to Turn an Old Man into a Youth. So this is the first beauty treatment, cosmetic beauty treatment, 3,500 years old, and it's for a man, not for a woman, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I've always been fascinated with that. So there was a lot to talk about after Fanny Bryce, and Fanny Bryce was operated on by a doctor who was a charlatan. Yeah, he never yeah. finished medical school. Yeah, and uh, so she didn't get a he didn't do very much to her nose. But then he advertised pictures that he had doctored the picture so that she looked worse in the picture, the before picture, and she looked better in the after picture. <laughs> but then along came Phyllis Diller in the 70s, and Phyllis Diller uh, was very brave and uh, uh, and went and had a facelift, and then she produced a piece of paper, which she actually sent to me because I've interviewed Phyllis Diller. She's dead now. But it was a list of all the operations she's had and who did them, and and what year she had them done. And, you know, she had a facelift, she had her nose done, she had her eyes done, she had her teeth done, then she had another facelift. And she was so honest about it, and she made jokes about her appearance and her act. So um, there was so much there that I could call on. And all I had to do was the most difficult task of all, uh, one of the directors, that, that director that I met at school, at, that, at the School of Visual Arts, said to me after he saw my sizzle reel, which was filled with clips about funny people that were available, he said, you can't talk about people who had this already. You must find people who have not had it and are considering it. And you must follow them. And what, whatever happens, happens. They they may think about it and then change their mind and not have it. Uh, they might have a complication. Whatever happens, you must follow the story. That's how you make a documentary. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm pretty good at taking advice when I think <laughs> the advice is good, and that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And um, I found two people, two comedians, one an un unknown, uh, Emily Askin, who was in, from Pittsburgh, and it was a graduate of the Upright Citizens Brigade, which is um, a school for improvisation. Mm -hmm. it was started That school was started by Amy Poehler. We all know Amy Poehler. Mm -hmm. And uh, Emily um, does improv, and she has had various girl groups. And uh, she's, uh, you know, making her way in the comedy world. Yep. And then I found Jackie Hoffman, who is... Um, you might say, a second banana, uh, always, you know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Right. Um, always, always played the person with a funny face. Yeah. And uh, I read an article about her in the Wall Street Journal when she was opening on uh, Broadway in On the Town. And in the article, she said she regretted not having the nose job that her mother offered when she was 16, and she wouldn't mind a facelift. And I contacted her, and those are the two people I followed. And I, those two stories are the thread of the, the spine of the film, and it's interwoven with the history of plastic surgery, the history of comedy in plastic surgery. And um, so it's a very complex movie, and it... I think uh, you'll notice that it moves very fast. Yeah, it does. It does. It's uh, 
it is b beautifully edited. The pace, is, as you described it, it's uh, when I was first approached about uh, your film, and I started when I started watching it. I assumed it was going to be something that was going to be about the negative of being of undergoing plastic surgery. I assume right. I assume that, and and one of the things that I truly appreciate about your film is it is it is all of it. You there are there are people that uh, you know in the film that uh, are open about the plastic surgery. Uh, you lay it out in in all of its different permutations, what people have done and the extremes and all of it. In many ways, a very no, non judgmental film about plastic surgery. You let other people well, tell about well, it. I, I appreciate the fact that you that that's what you got because I, it was intended. That was definitely intended not to be a judgmental movie. Not, I mean, the audience. My feeling, you know, covering this field for so many years and. Uh, the, the two questions everybody asks me when they, you know, I go to a dinner party and I'm a quiet person and I might just be sitting there listening and then somebody will say, oh, you know what Joan does? Joan covers plastic surgery. Wow. They start moving their chairs closer to me. They start coming over to me and whispering to me and asking me questions and whatnot. Everybody's curious about the subject. But the two things they always ask are, one, uh, are you for it or against it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the other is, how old is it? And are you for it or against it? And I always say, I'm for it for myself because I've had it and, it and I've had a very good result. And I think that I wouldn't be working and still out in public if I hadn't had uh, a couple of facelifts. But I don't really, it doesn't, you know, I'm not here to tell anybody that they need it. I never tell anybody, mm -hmm. oh, you ought to have plastic surgery. I mean, I, I have to send off the questions. I mean, movie stars call me. The agents in Hollywood call me, all trying to worm out of me. Who's the best doctor? Well, you know, I say there are, always say there's a lot of best doctors. There's no one best doctor. Mm -hmm. And you could send the same person to four different doctors, and each one will choose a different doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very personal choice, and uh, and it's a hard choice because if it, if the whole thing is a secret, then how is anybody going to uh, to know who to go to? You know, when David Letterman had heart surgery. What did he do? He brought his doctor on, yeah. and he brought the, brought the whole team on his show. Now, if David Letterman had had a facelift, he would not have brought the doctor on. He, would have, he wouldn't have told us he had a facelift. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's the problem with the subject. It's so much secrecy. Well, there's and, a lot... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, I, there's so much tied up in it. Well, let me first remind our listeners we're speaking with Joan Crone and she is the director of the new film Take My Nose Please. Uh, the film is premiering uh, at the Newport Beach Film Festival and that's on Saturday, April 22nd at 6 p.m. It'll also be screening on April 27th at 5.15 p.m. at the Edwards Big Newport Theater 4. And uh, it's, it sounds like you'll be out here for the Newport Beach Film Festival. So are you going to be at both screenings for a QA? and a I am. Okay. I, I, when you say premiering, I'm premiering in 
Southern California, I guess, um, mm-hmm. on on this Saturday. But we actually had our premiere at the Miami Film Festival a month ago, and I'm very proud to say that that was my my first film, my first festival, and I won the audience prize at that festival. Congratulations. Um, which came with a large check mm-hmm. and a beautiful trophy. Mm. Uh, and, you know, when that trophy arrived about two weeks ago, that was the most thrilling moment for me. I, this whole thing has been just like a dream come true, and I haven't quite been able to accept the fact that people love the film. And But when the trophy came, I must say, <laughs> I... I uh, I I really lost it. It it was that was very exciting. <laughs> well, I, and let me let me just step into the politics a little bit of of this uh, idea of plastic surgery because I think so much of it is tied up in ageism, the the more the, the thought of mortality, all the things that sort of we're that we're supposed to sort of um, that hide in plain sight in our society, as you as you talked about, you, you know, it affects your your job, your economics, your even your relationships to, to a large extent is how youthful do you look? How do you look? And also, especially when it comes to women, uh, we place as a society more and more value on the appearance of a woman than we do on a man. And in terms of right. their ability to uh, to move up the socioeconomic ladder. And now that mm-hmm. women are increasingly more and more integral to to our working life and more and more successful and all those kinds of things, it's now time for us to start talking about these things in ways that are realistic and, and mature and adult about it. And I think this is one of the things that audiences are responding to in your film, as well as, and I, I really want to underscore this, it's a very funny movie because you have so many funny people in it, but, at the, but so much of comedy is also about the truth and about a hard truth for for a lot of people. So there's a lot of things that are sort of in the mix, this gumbo of this film about plastic surgery, but there are so many more things that are kind of entwined with that. And I think that you did a beautiful job of of really kind of laying it out in a way that is, is fun to watch. It's very relatable and engaging and entertaining. So um, thank you. Congratulations. But you know, if this is film school, yeah. I have to say we must give credit to my editor, yeah. Nancy Novak. Mm-hmm. Nancy Novak is a prize winning editor and I was when I was looking for an editor, I was very lucky that uh, somebody sent her over to talk to me and I liked her immediately and she liked the film. And you know, again, she, she's somebody who's worked on the cancer film with Ken Burns. She's edited one of those films. Right. She's ed- edited uh, the, uh, the Spike Lee movie about Katrina. I mean, yeah. she's done some very, very serious films. And not that my film isn't serious, but my film has a gloss of humor yes. on, on top of the seriousness. And I was so grateful to her when she said to me, have you... Uh, am I competing with a lot of people? And I said, well, a few. And she said, I really want to edit this film. And she said, I think it's strangely important. Hmm. And I was very touched by that because 
here was a, a prize-winning, an Emmy-winning, and a Peabody-winning editor who was willing to take a chance on me. After all, I'd never made a movie before, and she was willing to work with me on this film, and I think that she, I think this film would not be the same without Nancy Novak. I, you know, I was talking to somebody today, and I said they wanted to know how much input I had on the editing. I said, we had lunch together every day for eight months. She came to my house to work every day, and we, we made lunch. We talked. We talked about life. We talked about the film. We talked about every frame in the film. And I don't think that it would be the same film without me, and it wouldn't be the same film without Nancy. Yeah, so, I mean, you can't really separate her work from my work, but yeah. it was a, just a wonderful collaboration. And, you know, I, I think I just would not have had the film it is without Nancy. Well, uh, and yeah, yeah. you can't do you can't make a film without a good film editor. That's for sure. No, that is the <laughs> truth. And a, a tip of the hat, of the film school hat to Nancy for the for the film. As as I said, uh, I think before we actually came on the air, is that uh, the film has a really nice pace to it. And I thought the way that that you were able to intertwine um, the different storylines, we'd be on something uh, more personal nature talking to um to julie hoffman or whatever we you the the story moves along but there's a number of different stories that we're following in the film and and this is exactly what you're talking about as, a, as an editor who really knows how to how to put a, a story together and and make it interesting and and keep it moving keep it moving along because people you know right. want to be entertained it's a great it's a great art i yeah. i went to one of the things i did uh, was go and take a course in film editing, but it was a very short course. And uh, then after that, I would have the teacher come to the house because I would keep forgetting, and I was doing trying to do these exercises. But I don't think that you can make a film, even if you're not editing it yourself. You have to know, you have to understand editing because it's um, it's different than... Uh, and editing used to be when they used film, mm -hmm. and it's certainly different than um, pencil editing. Mm -hmm. And um, having gone to uh, editing school was a tremendous benefit to me. And, uh, you know, I just opened myself up to this whole experience and gobbled it up. <laughs> I wanted to learn every aspect. I even do the bookkeeping on this. Did I you? raised the money. Yeah. I... Uh, I I do the bookkeeping. Um, I, nobody does any work on this film without me by their side. I mean, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm the boss from hell or something. I don't know. Well, well, Joan, I don't want anybody doing it for me. I want to know how to do it, and I'm very willing to let them show me. But I want them sitting right next to me when they're showing me. Well, a, a true collaborator is what you're talking about, a, a true collaboration. And, and you know, it, it, this, this is the very definition of someone, a good director, is that you, you surround yourself with people who you trust and you know they know what they're doing and you let them do what they do. And yes, and, but the wonderful thing was that, you know, we have an animator mm -hmm. and we have uh, composed music and yeah. then we also have 
songs. We have songs that people told me I would never be able to get, mm-hmm. and so we have a music supervisor. And in every, I learned every one of those trades. I can't do them myself, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I learned how to work with those people, and that that's part of the fascination of making a film. Is and I only wanted people who were, you know, were talented. Mm-hmm. I wasn't yeah. shopping by price. I was shopping for people who loved the idea of the film and wanted to, you know didn't have to be have their arm arm twisted to work on it yeah. and people you know like our our animator uh, Molly Schwartz is so in demand she does she had three pictures this year Sundance and I mean she people like Molly came over saw some of the raw footage and then said I just love this film so much I want to work on it I could work for other people but I want to work on this and that was the kind of exciting you know everybody who who came on board loved the idea of the film and I, I that's what I wanted I didn't want people who just needed a job I wanted people who who really you know got got the idea because you know there are people we I, I met people along the way Especially, I met investors who said, "I think that your sizzle reel is fabulous. I think you're fabulous, but I don't want to invest in this film because I don't believe in plastic surgery." Yeah. Well, I didn't want that kind of judgmentalism. Right. And I, everybody who worked for us, just they just fell in love with the film, and we all were just, you know, working for love here. Well, it, and, it shows. Uh, it shows. It shows, Joan. It really does. By the way, I think I misidentified. I said Julia Hoffman. I meant Jackie Hoffman, as I meant to say earlier. Uh, pardon me. Um, and you Emily. Mean Julie Halston. We we have a Julie yeah. Halston yeah. and a Jackie Hoffman. That's you right. Get them mixed up. That's that's what but, I think uh, I did. They're all wonderful. They are. And uh, and they all you know threw themselves into this. Um, Jackie Hoffman was kicking and screaming all the way, but that's fine. <laughs> She was, I mean, she's a delightful curmudgeon. I love her. She is great. And, she's uh, great in this film. And she, you know, and people fall in love with her in the movie. They oh, absolutely. Fall in love with her. Absolutely. Right. I have to tell you, real quick, uh, 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 the women that you, you uh, uh, showcase in the film, the one that sort of gets to me in terms of just their, their career and how much how much crap she must have taken was Phyllis Diller. Yeah, I, because I think she—I mean, she made a career out of out of mocking herself, and I—I I right. can't—I can't help but think that that took a toll on her in some level. I mean, I—I just—I the thought of it today to to start out as you know a, a young comedian, and obviously being when she came up, obviously it was difficult for for a woman to be in the world of comedy, especially stand up, on a good day. And and I just I don't know I, I I don't know that much about Phyllis Diller beyond uh, having grown up when she was doing stand up on Ed Sullivan and all that, but I I can't help but feel like that had took a toll on her. Do you do you know otherwise or am I? Well, am I she after? had a she had a very hard life. She had some terrible husbands. First of all, yeah. she had a lot of children and some very difficult husbands. Yeah. And uh, but she had a tremendous drive. Yeah. And uh, a great self-awareness, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, she performs in a time when, uh, you know, Bill Sheft has been very helpful to me in teaching me about the kind of the history of comedy because it used to be that women didn't even perform alone. They performed in a, in a, in a couple like Gracie Allen and George Burns. Right. And, and then when they struck out on their own, they, she had to have a million props like Phyllis did, you know, the crazy wig and the cigarette, uh, the the long cigarette holder and the crazy golden dresses and boots and whatnot. And she had to really make a a joke of her body, of herself. And then uh, when uh, Cody Fields was a different kind of um, comedian, she... Bill Bill explained to me that she always ended by singing a song, by so to try and endear herself to the audience. Now today we know women comedians don't try to endear themselves mm. <laughs> anymore. Right. You know they finally totally liberated, and you know we have uh, Lisa Lampanelli in the film, yeah. who was uh, so generous with her time with me. Uh, and talking about her uh, gastric sleeve operation and yeah. her, you know, struggle with weight, and which I consider another part of cosmetic surgery, even though it's considered a medical operation. And um, so it, the women in comedy are great because um, many of them wanted to be actresses and could not be hired because they weren't pretty enough. Mm-hmm. So from the very beginning, they knew that they did not measure up in terms of their appearance. And then they just started talking about it. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, so you've got a little bit of history of comedy yeah, in do. the film. You've got a history of plastic surgery in a very uh, unusual way. It surprises people. And um, and then you've got two fantastic stories, and yeah. I know that I I've shown the film privately at, uh, to people. I wanted you know we, we were testing opinions, and I would invite people over to see Rough Cut, and I would notice that as the film starts coming to the end, the people would start being on the edge of their seat, and I had a plastic surgeon over here the other day uh, from L.A. Uh, he was in New York to give a lecture, and I showed him the film, and, he, and he, he leans over to me near the end of the film, and he says, I cannot believe I am sitting on the edge of my seat as a, a nervous wreck wondering how this movie is going to end. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so uh, that's great. Well, and, and uh, one last thing, because uh, there's you've also got uh, a number of uh, of younger comedians. I, I I think the the bit that you drop in from Amy Schumer's show, I saw it when it aired, and I I think it's one of my favorite things that I've ever seen on her show is the uh, the bit about and I can't use the word that they use in the skit. Oh, you can't use the word. Don't tell anybody. Just say there's something wonderful with Amy Schumer. Yeah, it's great. Something <laughs> wonderful, and and it's funny. We don't want to give the movie. We no, don't want to give the movie no, away. No, but it's it's one of the funniest uh, things uh, that Amy's done, and I just think it's it's so apropos of the film, and it's so apropos of the right. underlining issue that all of the, that this film is as a subtext. I really do believe it uh, right. is, is really trying to address. Thank you. Um, well, I well, thank You're you. You're a great appreciator, Mike. Oh. I love it. <laughs> 
Thank you, Joe. You really are. It's so nice to talk to somebody, you know, who understands film. Oh, thank you. So, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, let's let's just one uh, one last commercial before we, we hit the road here and, and let people know that, that, by the way, we've been speaking with the director, Joan Crone, and she's the director of the film, Take My Nose, Please, a Joan Crone film, and it will be the Southern California premiere will be this coming Saturday night, April 22nd at the, I think it's the Triangle Square Theater on, on right, Saturday night. Triangle. Theater, I know it's funny, Triangle Square. But anyway, uh, so right. uh, theater, and that's a 6 p.m. screening of the film. And then on Thursday, it will be a 5, oh, I had it right in front of me. I think it's 5.15. 5.15 at the Edwards Big Newport Theater. That's the big one. Wow, that's the that's in Fashion Island. Oh, yes, tell everybody to come. Uh, yeah, please, right. everyone come and, and see Joan Crone's film and have a great time and go out to... And we're going to have a panel afterwards, and I've got a lot of the talking heads in the film oh. and one of the stars of the film Wonderful. will be there at both, uh, at both screenings. And uh, just don't re- don't forget yeah. that I I, I want to be the oldest filmmaker in the world. <laughs> okay. I don't know if I'll make it, but uh, I'm 89. All right. Well, well, that's what you just did is a is a great tease, as they say in the business. So uh, it's a it's a wonderful film. It really is a lot of fun. And um, thank you so very much. I know you're getting ready to fly out here to Southern California, so I appreciate your time. And uh, and the film. So, Joan, keep up the great work. I can't wait to have you back on for your next film. Oh, I, I, I've, I've got my idea for my next film, and it's going to be a blockbuster. Oh, fantastic. All right, well, that's <laughs> this is... At, at, I now bestow upon you that honorary degree that I promised you earlier, and uh, all the best. All the best, Joan. Thank uh, you so much, Mike. All right. I hope you'll come. Maybe you'll come, and I'll meet you in person. I will. I let's let's look at the uh, yes, uh, the six o'clock on Saturday. I'll come for the screening. So okay, uh, great. I'll see you then, Joan Crone, the director of the film. Take my nose, please. A Joan Crone film. Thank you so very much, Joan. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.